0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. From Capernaum, he first traveled to
1: synagogues throughout Galilee. You read about this in Mark 1. He went first into the synagogue in Capernaum, and then he said, I've been called to go everywhere. And he went into the synagogues, not just on the streets, but he went into the synagogues in towns all around Galilee. And it says when he went, he went teaching, he went healing, and he went casting out devils. We're told later that Jesus went about everywhere doing good and healing people who were tormented and oppressed by the devil.
0: In your walk with Jesus, do you know the power that you possess through him? In our science-first society, we are taught to only believe in what can be seen, touched, or measured. Oftentimes, you're even seen as being less intelligent if you believe in the unseen. Today in his message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to harness the power of God's perfect grace and use it as armor against the pressure from the world. There is nothing that God can't do for you in your life. Let His power transform you. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Mark chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Power of Again.
1: I'm going to begin with Mark 1, 16 to 21. I want to show you. We're going to end up in chapter four. It doesn't look like we're getting through Mark, but we're going to end with chapter four. But I want you to see the call of the first disciples. And let's read it together. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fish for a living. Jesus called out to them. Read it with me, everybody. Come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Ooh, I like that. Now, and what they do? They left their nets at once immediately and followed him. And a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue in Capernaum and he began to teach. I'm going to end in the miracle of the blind man who was healed and at first saw men as trees walking. But I want to lead up to that by showing you the power of again, the power of again. Everybody, say it with me again. Now, we just read the beginning of the calling of Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Never ceases to amaze me the, the way Jesus works because here you have, you have Simon. And Mark, in his book, honors the way Jesus changed his name. You'll find here at the beginning that he calls him Simon, but later in Mark, he calls him Peter. He honors what Jesus did with him. He recognized the name change as being prophetic of what Peter was going to become. But that's another whole story. But he calls Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Simon has been casting the net. John has been mending the net. And when you read about Simon, Peter, you see him being the net caster When they brought in 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost, Peter is the preacher who preaches and thousands are saved. But you find John mending the net. My little children, love one another because love is of God. Now don't fight, don't squabble. Let's be mended. Let's get along. You find Peter, repent. He's the net caster spiritually. John's the net mender spiritually. They go into Capernaum for the very first time in Mark chapter one. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Capernaum. Capernaum was the residence of Jesus and his uh, apostles. At Nazareth, Jesus was brought up, but Capernaum was beyond doubt his own city. Now, the way I can explain this is um, sort of like I was raised in Richardson, Texas, but during that time, Dallas was my city. You understand that? Now I wouldn't live there if you paid me. Fort Worth is my city. Now he chose Matthew, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, all three out of Capernaum. They all came out of Capernaum. From Capernaum, he first traveled to synagogues throughout Galilee. You read about this in Mark 1. He went first into the synagogue in Capernaum. And then he said, I've been called to go everywhere. And he went into the synagogues, not just on the streets, but he went into the synagogues in towns all around Galilee. And it says when he went, he went teaching, he went healing, and he went casting out devils. We're told later that Jesus went about everywhere doing good and healing people who were tormented and oppressed by the devil. I was watching Bill O'Reilly last night. I got to say this. I don't know if you watch The O'Reilly Factor, but I, I do believe that some people are a little more conservative than others, and I can stomach listening to them. But O'Reilly had this guy on who was talking about how the Catholic Church has now appointed many more exorcists to minister among them to cast devils out of people. And they had on a representative. And this representative, a very educated guy, he looked to be a Hispanic guy to me. And here he is, and, and he was talking about how the Catholic Church has found the need to appoint exorcists. And O'Reilly said, now you got two minutes to tell us why you're not a Looney Tune. <laughs> now if I'm on the O'Reilly factor, that's a, that's a heavy call right there. But point being, O'Reilly can't comprehend the supernatural. That's why I always tell you people, and, I, and I'm telling myself too. Just because somebody's conservative politically doesn't mean they're conservative theologically. you got to be careful. You've got you to chew the meat and spit out the bones when you're watching TV. Because so many times you hear just crazy stuff. This poor guy tried to explain the reality of the supernatural. And O'Reilly calls himself a good Catholic. But here's the Catholic Church appointing exorcists to deal with the reality of the spiritual world. So you got a whole culture out there that when you go to talking about stuff that I'm going to be talking about, they think it's loony. Well, what do they do with Jesus who went around casting out devils, healing the sick, dealing in the supernatural? You see, there is a fourth dimension, everybody, and it's right here. Are you with me? It's the supernatural. Just because you can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, hear it doesn't mean it's not there. God has limited our five senses to live in the world that he created but the supernatural world is out there and to deny that is to deny the Bible. It's right here. Heaven's not light years away where i got to load you onto a spaceship and you start traveling there and have children there and they grow up on the spaceship and they're the ones that finally get to heaven. It's so far up there Heaven is right here. I believe when you die, you just step into another room. Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you. It's among you. When Jesus walked up to the Mount of Transfiguration, suddenly we are introduced to the supernatural reality of resurrected people because they're standing next to him is Moses on one side representing the law. Elijah on the other side, representing the prophets. And what are they talking about? Jesus' future resurrection. And who's talking to him? Two resurrected men who are living in the spirit dimension. Hello? Where'd they come from? They stepped out of that fourth dimension, talked to Jesus in our dimensions, in our world, And when they were done, they stepped back in. Did they travel light years up that way? No, they just stepped back in to the fourth dimension, the spirit world. If we could see into the spirit right now, we'd see angels. You'd probably see some some demon spirits attacking God's people. You would see this. If you don't see that, if that's not there, then let me close my Bible. We all need to go to the house and watch Replays of the Twilight Zone, because that's what we've been in. But there's a spirit world. There is a spiritual dimension. It's more real than this, because heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The things of the spirit are the things that live forever. This is temporary. Now, the thing that marked the ministry of Jesus when he entered the synagogue for the very first time, he flushed the spirit world out. He preached his first message under the power of the Holy Spirit, and a demon manifested. And everybody freaked out. What in the world is this? And Jesus talked to the demon, and the demon spoke to him and said, I know who you are. Have you come to torment us before our time? And Jesus said, come out of him. And he came out with a scream As we've already looked at, he shook the man up, came out of him, and went off into the spirit world. And now the man is free. See, if we can't comprehend the fact that there is a spiritual dimension, we are completely crippled in ministering to people. This is what made Jesus so outstanding to the people of his day. He understood the spirit dimension. He moved in the spirit dimension. He ministered in the spirit dimension. And he healed people in the level of the spiritual dimension. Now let's look at Mark 2.1. I want to show you now. Look what it says. A few days later when Jesus, what's the word everybody? Again, entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come where? He had come home. So he came back to his own city again. Now I want you to notice the word again. Because I'm going to show you that Jesus... Came to places again and again. This whole concept of Jesus coming to you again, and then he comes to you again, and then he comes to you again. This is the second again in the book of Mark. The second in a few weeks, the second again, the second time he came to Capernaum. He went out and preached in all the villages around Galilee, came back to Capernaum again. The first time, he went to the synagogue where they were used to hearing him, but this time he went to his house. Now let's look at Mark 3.1. Jesus went into the synagogue, went everybody again, and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now notice that the first time he went to the synagogue, he dealt with a man who had a demon, and he dealt with the demon in the realm of the supernatural, delivered the man, and the man was made whole. But this time, he's not dealing with a demon. And I want you to notice both of these miracles happen in church. Demons came to church. And this man with a withered hand came to church. It was a twisted, withered hand. And this time, he heals the man with a withered hand. And you got Pharisees standing there this time, and the Pharisees are always standing around. You let God move somewhere, and you always got Pharisees standing around. They stand like this. And they're measuring you according to their yardstick, and they got one yardstick. And they're standing there. Now, you got to get a hold of this. These dudes are sitting there judging to see if Jesus will do something on gasp the Sabbath. And you got a guy with a withered hand. He's twist, he can't do manual labor. He can't work. His ability to earn a living is hindered. He's been deformed all of his life. They know Jesus is going to spot it. And instead of going, oh, God, heal him. These Pharisees are sitting there saying, let's see if he heals on the Sabbath. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, stretch it forth. The man stretches out this deformed hand. Picture a hand arthritically deformed. And Jesus healed it. Suddenly bones popped, fingers straightened, the hand straightened, and it was as whole as the other. Everybody else was amazed. What do the Pharisees do? They go out and they, for the very first time, start plotting to kill him. Were they really worried about the Sabbath? No, they were a bunch of hypocrites. They weren't worried about the Sabbath. What were they worried about? This guy's getting too popular. He's getting all the people. We don't like that. We like having them under our thumb. It was a control issue. Now, let me tell you something. In church and elsewhere, it always comes down to control. Now, let me tell you something about church. This was church. This was happening in church. It always comes down to control. Who's controlling what? You know what kind of church you want? You want a church where the Holy Spirit can do what He wants. What He wants. But when men ambitious people step into leadership. They can take the control away from the Holy Spirit and it begins to be ruled by flesh. And you will know the difference. You may sit there for a while and like the frog in the boiling water, the water's getting hotter all the time, but that's all you ever see is flesh controlling the church, the will of man. So you're just, ah, no, 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 And then somehow or another, you begin to say, you know, it's getting awful hot around here. Something's wrong here. I don't sense God moving anymore, or at all, or ever. And and, and you end up, and you go somewhere where the Spirit of God is moving, and you freak out. You say, what have I been sitting in? Either the Spirit of God is free to move in a church, or you have the thumb of flesh holding it down. In this synagogue, you have the thumb of flesh holding it down. Here comes Jesus, my Lord Casting devils out, teaching like no man ever taught, healing withered hands, and he's only just gotten started, and already they're wanting to kill him. The flesh is an ugly thing, y'all. The flesh is an ugly thing. It doesn't like the moving of God. Now look at Mark 4.1. Once again, can you say with me again? Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. I'm only bringing this out to show you that, again, Jesus taught by the sea. You can read about it in Mark 1.16. You can read about it in Mark 2.13. He taught. He went back to the sea again. Now, notice, he went into Capernaum again. He went to the sea again. And he went into a home twice. So, so, so far, we find three repeat visits of Jesus Twice he entered the same synagogue, twice he taught the same sea, and twice he went back to Capernaum, all in a short period of time. Again, the power of again, the power of again. And every time Jesus returned again, something incredible happened again. Say with me again, again. Now, I'm sharing that with you because I got to tell you something about the way God does. God comes to people again. And then he comes to him again, and then he comes knocking again, and then again. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, fellowship with him, and he with me. That word knock is in, it's called present active indicative Greek tense, and what it means is this continuously. Behold, I am continuously standing at the door of your life and knocking. I come again and I come again and I come again. Now you find, let's go to Mark 8 and let me get down to this healing that is so powerful. When they arrived at Bethsaida, Mark eight twenty-two, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and healing. What were they doing? They were praying for him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Mark that. Look what Jesus did. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes. Now, you got to remember the eyes are where the affliction was, and he spit on them. Can I tell you, I don't think that blessed him at first. <laughs> I mean, if I'm hurting and God spits on the hurt, I need some discernment here. I need a revelation. <laughs> so keep that in mind. Here's the guy, he can't see. And instead of, oh, I'm so sorry, and touching your eye, he's poop. Because I'm trying to stick myself in his shoes. And that doesn't bless me. Now watch this. Then it says... He laid his hands on him and asked, now, can you see anything? The man looked around and said, yes. He said, I see people, but I can't see them clearly. They look like trees walking around. Now, let's look at the next part. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. When? Again. And his eyes, what happened to him then? His eyes were open after and again. Now watch, his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. 20, 20, Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. This is such a powerful story. I got to tell you, this is so powerful. Now, the friends who brought the paralytic and lowered him down through the roof and four friends carried him on a stretcher to see Jesus. Remember that? So it was, and I call it, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. They carried him with a stretcher all the way to Jesus And when they couldn't get in, they lowered him through the roof. After digging a six-foot hole in the roof, they lowered him down. Here you got people bringing somebody again to Jesus. He hadn't come on his own. He can't. He can't see him. So you got somebody who can't help themselves. I can't see. I can't walk. I can't see. And when you talk to Jesus and you say to Jesus, "Would you heal this person?" That's what prayer is. He just happened to be on earth at that time. But they said, would you please? Would you please? So notice somebody got a burden for somebody who could not see. Several people got a burden for someone who could not see. And they prayed for his healing. It says literally they begged Jesus to touch him. Wow. Now that to me is where the verse begins to talk. Because instead of being apathetic about it, they're saying, please heal him please open his eyes. That's intercessory prayer. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus answered because it's worth noting. The first thing he did was he established trust. Now you say, how do you know that? Because it says in verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now you got to, again, let's use our sanctified imagination a minute. This guy's blind. He can't see anything. He's totally blind. And a stranger takes you by the hand and starts leading you. Now, if if I'm him, I got to have a level of trust. Because it says he's leading him out of the town, away from all the people, into an alone place. And I don't know this guy. I don't know him. He took him and he just starts leading him out of the town. The guy can't see anything. He doesn't know Jesus. They go a great distance outside the town. Don't you think that with every step, he had to grow in trust? He had to make a decision. But now if I'm him, I'm making a decision. I got to make a decision. I'm trusting him because he hadn't done anything for my vision yet. That's the way he does you and I. He can't do anything until you first trust him. So he establishes trust before he does anything with you. you got to learn to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You think this, they, they, he heard his friends pray. They said, heal him. Well, he's not healing my eyes. He's walking me somewhere. What's going on here? I have to make a decision. I don't know why I trust him, but I'm going to trust him. So I'm going to let him lead me. But he's not doing what they prayed yet. What's he doing? Establishing trust. God will not do anything in your life. He, he can't do a whole lot until you will let him take you by the hand and take you some places that maybe you're not used to going, church. So here's this guy. The psalmist says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. Trust is the beginning of all miracles and All of your walk with God, it's got to start with trust. And so I see Jesus establishing trust. And this man is learning to trust him as they walk. Think about your own life. The Lord first taught you to trust him. And he still has to tell you sometimes, would you just shut up and trust me? He says that to me. The Lord led him out of the town away from what was familiar. He's blind. He's very familiar with certain things, a certain arena of movement, and he's totally left it and gone where he has not known. Now, the next thing, he had to learn to not be offended in Jesus.
0: In your faith journey, have you ever experienced pushback from the spiritual realm? Have you ever had moments where you feel like the only thing that's holding you back is something beyond the confines of what we can see. Today, Pastor Jeff taught that you can't ignore the things that are unseen. It's not enough to rest in your faith with Christ. You need to let the Holy Spirit work in and through you. Live out God's divine calling for your life by responding to His heart. We'd love for you to have additional resources. Here's Diane with more. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. Now I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's next. Next time, we learn from Pastor Jeff that if you want to see your faith grow like never before, you need the full power of Jesus to flow through you. It's not enough to merely have Him in your heart. Instead, you need to be a living sacrifice day in and day out for the sake of God's kingdom. If you're cutting evangelism out of your life, you'll never experience to the fullest of what God has in store for your relationship with Him. Experience a great renewal of in your faith that's all the time we have for today thanks for tuning in for this edition of hardwired with jeff wickwire you can listen to more messages from this and other books of the bible by visiting hardwired.org join us next time to continue our study in the book of mark right here on hardwired